2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is where we've been, and this is where we're going to be for a little bit longer. We're almost done. But we're on the tail end of this. It's understanding what God's intention was for you and I. The problem we have in America today is we think that once we're born again, that that's it, we're out, thanks for playing, have a nice life. Get your door prizes, whatever. And the thing is, is that not only are we saved, but we are saved with a purpose. We need to be out there doing and acting as if Jesus himself has taken care of us and brought all things to us, and that we should be excited about the change that is in us. Why do we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is why. We are his representatives on the earth. His hands, his feet, his mouth. Sometimes that mouth runs too much. Sometimes those hands aren't doing loving things, and we'll define that later. You see, we're his, his ambassador. We represent him in every part of our life, but we think somehow because, yay, we get up and we go to church. Yeah, we're representing Christ. But there's so much more to it. What did Jesus do? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria. They brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So what did he do? He taught, he preached, he healed. Then what did he do? He died. Matthew 20, verse 27, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. So he died and he resurrected. Why did he do it? He did it out of compassion. We're not going to go through all those verses. That's what moved him. Because he loved us while we were still sinners, that he sent his son into the world to die a death that you and I rightfully deserve. And guess what? The beautiful part is now we have to do nothing to be born again. Simply come to him. Think about the change. Imagine, if you will, that you're an Old Testament saint. You're not a saint yet. You're an Old Testament person. You're a Philistine. You weren't born in Israel. All right? Goliath was on your team. All right? And you realize you have this recognition. It's like, oh my goodness. The God of Israel, Yahweh, is the one true God. We've been worshiping all these false gods. They're not the real God. They're not the ones that created everything. Look what God did for Israel, how he brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, all of that stuff that has gone on. And he just whipped Goliath's tail. Nobody whips Goliath. We were just talking about a, a big boxing match that's coming up between two world's strongest men. Two Goliaths. Be like two walruses going at it is really what it's going to be like, but whatever. They're massive, giant men. But anyway, but I mean, imagine you, you have this recognition. It's like, oh my goodness, that's the true God. What do you have to do? You have to forsake your family. You have to forsake your home, your business. You have to forsake your nation and your people. And you have to leave them. And you have to go to the nation of Israel. And you enter in as a proselyte. It's the Hebrew word ger, G-I-R. It means you come in as an alien, a foreigner, and you reject everything about you, and you take on the name of Yahweh. You become circumcised, and you agree to keep all of the commandments, all 613 of them, just like the Israelite nation did. And even when you're done with that, guess what? You still need a Savior. 
I mean, that was the process. What do you have to do now? You bow your head, you close your eyes, you repeat after me. That's how you do it now. That's a joke, y'all. That's not how that works, okay? But that's where we are. And so he's made it so simple that we begin to take it for granted, and we've lost sight of the fact that when we come to Christ, he saves us from damnation. We spend eternity with him. The burglar. He's got the uh, hamburglar. That's what it is. Can't have that in the way, you know. We come to him and some, we're saved. And then what would we do? We internalize it. We take this God, this Jesus, we're like, oh, I love him. I'm going to take him and I want him part of my life, but I don't want him to control all of my life. So I'm going to add him to the repertoire. He's always going to be with me. And I'll bring him out when I need him. Because we've lost sight. I was speaking, I got asked to speak at a baccalaureate one time. This was years ago. And... Um, I'm getting ready to go, and there was a lady that went before me, and I don't remember what her background was, but, but anyway, she got up, and she started talking, and, and uh, she's not somebody who spoke all the time, you know, so she wasn't very, she wasn't good at it. She was just trying to convey a message, which is great, and, but she said something, and her statement was something along this line is that, you know, I don't talk to people about my faith because I feel like that is private. That's between me and God. And so I don't tell anybody about what's going on, and you shouldn't either. So I'm sitting in the chair. I'm next. Those of you who know me well know I might be a little opinionated, and I usually don't hide that fact. So in that moment, I adjusted what I was going to talk about, and I basically started off, let me tell you all the reasons you need to share your faith. And I just let her have it. Needless to say, she did not talk to me afterwards. But that's the problem, is that's the mindset we have. See, here's what happened, is we got born again as a result of somebody sharing the gospel with us. Whether that was in a church, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend, something along those lines has happened to you because somebody had the boldness to stand up and say, here it is. And what do we do? I never will speak these words again. We do it all the time. But that's not what he did. That's not what the disciples did. Everything that Jesus did, the disciples did, and we follow suit with that. He gave a mission to them. It says in Mark 16, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, do you notice one thing that these all have in common? Well, there's a couple of things, actually. The first one is those who believed. What happens if you believe? You are saved. What happens if you don't believe? You are condemned. Pretty cut and dry. Doesn't say you got to go do this stuff, be this way, give this money. It's just you believe in what Jesus has done or you do not. Not just you believe that God exists, because even the demons believe that. But you're putting your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. You're receiving that, that payment that he made for you. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. Now here's the question. Did you believe? Have you believed? And if you have, have these signs followed you in any capacity? Because these signs followed everybody who came after Jesus. Where are we at? You see, all of this begets activity. 
It's implied the fact that you are going to be out there, going to all the world, and preaching the gospel. And thus, because of that, these signs are going to follow you. They're examples, they're signs, they're things that people can look at fine. But if you do nothing, you can't expect anything. It's kind of like the question I get asked every once in a while. Did Jesus give a commandment to fast? The answer is no, he did not. He never said, thou shalt fast every third Thursday. Nothing like that ever came out of his mouth. So do we fast today? But here's the thing. Jesus, as he was teaching, says, when you fast, don't do it like these guys. They want the attention. So what does that imply? You're going to fast. See how easy this is? This is fun, isn't it? You see, the implication of you going into all the world and preaching the gospel is that these signs are going to follow. And if you're not doing that, then why would you expect any of this to take place? You know where you start? At home. Look at what Mark 16, 19 says. So then after the Lord had spoken to him, he was received into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. He was seated at the right hand of God. As we talked about last week, this is the position of authority. We went through all the verses that and there were dozens and dozens of them, where Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. God on high. Here He is seated. He is the head. We are the body. His authority has been given to Him. He gave it to us. Therefore, we go. All of these things are going on. And what happens as a result? Well, they went out and they preached everywhere. How many wares? All of them. They got all the wares. All of them are taken care of. They went out and they preached everywhere they went. Did they wait to be moved by the Holy Ghost to do it? No, they just went ahead and went out and preached. Well, did they wait till somebody came and asked them a question? No, because you're going to be waiting a long time. They went out on mission to go out and preach the gospel. And what happened? Signs followed. Confirming the word. Why do we complicate it? It's not complicated. Who complicated it? You and I. We've made this hard. This is very easy. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So who are we to imitate? Paul, if he's imitating Christ. But ultimately, we imitate Christ. The only person that we can compare ourselves inside of the Gospels is Jesus himself. Don't put yourself on that level. Don't get confused by that. But he's the only one that we can look at and say, Okay, that's how we should be. Why? He has what we have. You see, what happens at his baptism? The Spirit of God comes down upon him, and it stayed. That was a sign to John. And therefore, from that moment on, the miracles began to happen. He was moved with compassion, with the power of the Holy Spirit. He was the Spirit. He had the Spirit. He was the right creation. All of these things were going on. We have that exact same thing, which means we need to begin to think differently. We have to act differently. Jesus at the right hand of the Father is crucial to our understanding of this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, this is where it gets confusing. If anyone is in Christ, does that mean that all are? No. But what happens if you are? You're a new creation. Brand new. 
The old has died, the new has come. He didn't take you and fix you and clean you up and put band-aids on your shins or anything like that. You are now brand spanking new. With that, all things are of God who reconciled us, that's you and I, to himself, that being the Father, through whom? Jesus. He's given to you and I the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you all happen to know what that is? Most don't, because we never ask the question. This is something that was given to us. Well, it kind of explains it. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and because of that, he's committed this word of reconciliation to us. What does that mean? It means that we can now, with boldness and confidence, walk up to anybody and says, today is the day of forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. There is not a sin that God cannot forgive. There is not a sin that Jesus did not pay for. All you have to do is receive that free gift. You see, what's changed now is that underneath the law and how these people were taught is that in order to go to God, what did you do? You went to the priest, you brought your sacrifice, the priest would make the sacrifice, he'd take that blood and apply it whichever, which way needed to be, depending on, on the sacrifice, you know, the chart. But now, we're not going to God for them. We are going to them for God. So you see, God came into the world for us. We are his ambassadors. Jesus represented God to the people. We represent Jesus to the world. How are we doing? Not great. We were talking about this this morning. But what do we do that makes us feel good? We host events. We give away money. We go and feed people. Those aren't bad things. But we can't stop there. You see, the difference is, is we're not going to God. Oh God, great heavenly Father, if it be thy will, would you save this sinner doomed for hell? No, we've got the ministry of reconciliation knowing that Jesus paid for that. And we can boldly say, no, if today is the day of forgiveness. Right now. You don't have to be the same. You can be set free from whatever bondage that you are in. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I've been crucified, what does that imply? Did anybody escape crucifixion? They did not, because you hung there until you couldn't move anymore. You were done. So because of that, when Christ was crucified, so was I. It's not I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. What does that imply? You ought to have some boldness. Because I, you know, I mean, as you guys know, I have no problem saying certain things during, you know, stupid is stupid. Stupid is as stupid does. And I have no problem calling things out. When there is a moral issue, I have no problem standing on the side of truth and anything. And I will stand up for anything at any point in time. And some people don't like that because they feel like it's not loving. And my response is, listen, I'm not trying to come across brash. I apologize if you are somehow adverse to the truth. If the truth offends you, I can't help you. I can't. I'll try. I'll try to be nice. Listen, Jesus loves you the way that you are. That's not true. 
but we're adverse to the truth. We don't want it. It's not I who, it's as if Jesus is imploring on God's behalf, be reconciled to him. You see, we've got to begin to think different. There's this old adage out there. It says that a good evangelist is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Is that true? It's a load of crap. It's not true. We're not trying to get Jesus to move. We are boldly and with authority declaring the reality of it. We're not beggars. We are Christ representatives. A good evangelist will walk into any situation and will not allow the kingdom of hell to prevail because he knows his authority. He knows why God has put him here. You guys may have heard of some of these people in times past. One man named Smith Wigglesworth. He was a long, around a long time ago. But that was a very bold man. One that was more well-known in our time. I think he died either in the late 90s or the early 2000s was Lester Summerall. They talk about this man because he had such boldness and authority. And uh, there was one time that there was a, a lady who wanted a ride home from church. And uh, he told that lady, he's like, you can, I'll give you a ride because everybody else was gone. But you're sitting in the back seat. And she was offended by that. It's like, you ain't got the right last name to sit up here with me because it wasn't his wife you know he was just being above measure there's other times that he'll land he would have landed overseas in some foreign country pick anyone that you want he said as soon as he stepped off the plane he would yell devil i'm here now that may sound crazy but that's a man who knew his authority and the man acted upon it you see in luke 10 chapter Chapter 10, verse 19, says, Behold, this is Jesus talking, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, let me ask you something. Who gave the authority? It was Jesus. Who has the right to give the authority? Same guy. I give you authority, serpents and scorpions, I've told you it's not bugs and snakes, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing will by any means hurt you. So if he's given it, what are we doing with it? And the answer is, not much. So imagine this, if you will, okay? Somebody right now is robbing Casey's. Just right around the corner. You know why they're robbing them? They ran out of donuts. They're not happy. So they pull out a gun. It just so happens there's a cop sitting there pumping gas. He looks inside the windows. He sees what's going on. He gets on his radio, calls his supervisor. Hey, right now, there's an armed robbery going on inside of Casey's. What do you want me to do? What should he do? Kick down the door. You see, the thing is, with the cop, they're always on duty. They may not be clocked in, but they're always on duty. They've been trained, and they feel a responsibility that no matter what is going on, they are always on duty. It's the same thing with somebody who's been trained as an EMT medic or something like that. They don't have to be riding in the ambulance if they see a car wreck and somebody requires CPR. What's the first thing they do? Their training kicks in. They jump in there. They begin helping. Cops the same way. My brother was an officer for a long time. He was one. He was the first on the scene. He was off duty first on the scene after a lady, young lady had been hit by a car. He immediately jumps out of his truck and begins to give CPR to the lady. He's off duty. He's not getting paid. He could have said, ah. 
I'll let somebody else get here. Your training kicks in, it begins to take over, and you do what you need to do. Why? He knew the authority. It's no different than he was off duty one time and had to pull a gun on somebody. And settled the situation. Why? He knew his authority. Where are we at? I mean, what happens when you're in in the face of, of something nefarious going on, you see something that the enemy is up to, and you immediately be like, well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. You realize this? You don't have to be moved by the Spirit of God to share the gospel with somebody. You don't have to be moved by the Spirit of God to lay hands on somebody who is sick. It's what we do. We are His ambassadors. We do what God has called us to do. We should feel a responsibility. The power of God is resident inside of us. The problem is we don't believe it. We don't act like it. We're not bold. We're not out there being victorious. To be a good ambassador for God, you don't go and try to make your own policy. You simply perform the one that's already there. You don't go out there and try to do things on your own. You just go and display the policy that's already set up. What's the policy? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, these signs will follow. People would come to Jesus to be set free. And what would he do? He'd set them free. When people come to us to be set free, what do we do? Well, let's get together and let's talk this through. And after 12 weeks of counseling, perhaps you can overcome this. No, he'd just take care of it right then. We are to be like Christ. We are to teach like him. We are to preach like him. We are to heal like him. That is our mandate as his ambassador, but yet we don't. The reason we don't is many Sometimes it's a boldness issue. We're just scared. We're afraid of what somebody's going to think about us. That's a first world problem. Because who cares? Half these people you never see again. But the number one overarching reason is we're waiting on somebody else to act. And how long are we going to wait? Imagine the family and friends around you that maybe if you had the boldness to step in and act as if Jesus has what has said it's true, what a difference that would make in the world. So in John 14, let's, let's go there. John chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works himself. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, is that true? Is there an expectation that Jesus laid out that, listen, those who believe me, the works that I have done, continue to do, they will do. And they will do greater works than these because I go to my Father. Now, here's the question. Did he go to his Father? So what should we expect? If the Bible is true and those are the words of Jesus and that is what he said, what should we expect? We should expect that we're doing greater works than he. You know how you do that? By not sitting at home and not talking about things. Be a person of action. Has anybody in here ever had an employee before? You know what we love about employees? We love the employee who walks in and sees something that needs to be done and just does it. You know what we don't like? The one that walks in and is like, huh, what a mess. I wonder who's going to clean that up and walks away. 
There's a difference between the two personalities. One is a person of action and one is a person of, eh. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25. Let's look at this. Verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So what did he do? He handed something over to them. This was money. Handed money to them. How much did he give each one? Did he make it equal? Nope. What they could handle is what he gave them. Then... He who had received the five talents and went on and traded them and made another five. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. And he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought him five other, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came, and the Lord delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have it. It's yours. The Lord answered him and said, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest, take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents. Everyone who has more will be given and he will uh, have abundance, but for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, three servants, three different outcomes. Three different amounts. Given. What was the expectation? Do something with it. Two of them did something with it. What the third guy do? Made excuses. Well, here's why I didn't. I was afraid. I didn't want to make you grumpy. How'd that work out? Not well. I didn't want to upset you. So therefore, I just hit it. And I didn't do anything with it. But you still got yours back. You see, we do that same thing. I mean, we are literally Christ ambassadors. How much do you have to hate a person to not share the love of Christ with them? It's like, hey, I've got the cure to cancer. Oh, you have cancer. Thoughts and prayers. What do you have to do? You see, the church today has forgotten that we are at war. That we are in battle with the enemy and there, there's this give and take and all of that's going on. Ultimately, the battle has been won. But you and I are on a mission to be like Christ. And when we hear that word, what do we think of? Oh, it's like we got to be moral, good, upstanding citizens. Go along and get along and do all of this stuff. And the reality is, is none of that is correct. We are to be doing those things Every single day. And what moves us with that is the compassion. Do you realize that it breaks people's hearts when somebody dies at a young age? And it breaks a believer's heart when somebody dies at a young age and they weren't a believer. But what didn't break their heart is all the years they knew them as an unbeliever and they never shared the gospel. We need to be proactive, not reactive. I want to look at one more set of passage here in Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. Now, I've taught on some of this before, 
So some of this might be repeat for some of you, and some of this will be new, and, and just play along if you've heard this. Pretend you didn't. Act surprises. Christmas morning, you don't know what you're getting. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach. Who's he? It's Jesus. And a great multitude was gathered to him, and they got into the boat and sat out on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing sea. And he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured, and some fell on stony ground where it it did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirty-fold, some sixty, and some a hundred. He said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is the four soils, okay? We're talking about sowing the seed. We don't know what that is yet. He's speaking in a parable. Who is he speaking to? Well, according to verse 9, if you have ears, you should hear, okay? It's very easy qualification. I think we all have ears, so let's listen to this. Now, just because I have to get my digs in, you notice that 30, 60, 100 fold has nothing to do with giving money? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Tough crowd. Verse 10. <laughs> but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Now we've got two different groups, the inside and the outside. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So we see a distinction here. Now this is a prophecy out of Isaiah. This seems kind of harsh. Seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. This is what's going to happen. So there's the inside and the outside. It's not going well for the outside. Verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, that's a, that's a marker there, guys. If we can't get this, we're not going to get any of them. The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside, where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So we've got a lot of analogies that are used here. You've got the sower. The sower sows seed, which is the word, right? That's what it says. Then what do you got next? What ground did he go into? You got the wayside soil. This is the first one. I know you guys love my handwriting. You got the wayside soil. There were three three not-so-good ones, right? You've got the rocky soil and the thorny soil, okay? It could be. It could be. Now, it's the same seed. Sower is out sowing the word. I guess I should write good up here, too. I'm going to move this over a little bit. 
We'll put good. Now, here's the thing. Based off this, we know that all people fall into one of these four categories. Truth is, they could fall in any of them at any given time or more than one at any given time. So as the sower is sowing the word, where is he sowing it? He's sowing it into good soil. Does anybody sow seed into bad soil? Has there ever been a farmer that says, let me just go throw a handful of corn in the ditch and let's see what happens? No. Does sometimes that stuff happen? Does it get out there? Sure. So he throws it here, and what comes and devours it? It says the birds do. The birds come and devour. Well, what is the bird? It says that Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So what is the bird? It's Satan. So Satan comes and takes that word from them. Now the rock, or the rocky soil, and the thorny soil, there's two different things that go on. The first one is, uh, let's see, stony. That they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So they heard it, they received it, but they have no root, and they endure for a time. When tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, they stumble. So they don't make it. So it springs up, but persecution comes. Nothing happens. Then you get over to the thorny soil. And with the thorny soil, let me flip back here. They hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. So we've got cares, riches, whatever. The desire for things of this world. Now, it doesn't tell us all the details. In order to get this, we've got to look at Mark 4, but we also got to go back and we've got to look at Luke chapter 8. That's how you can remember this. Mark 4, Luke 8. 8 is twice as much as 4, in case anybody is from Fall City. All right. So let's read this in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up, and it yielded and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when they had heard these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, saying, Well, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So it sounds a lot alike what we just read in Mark. Verse 11, now, this, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now that's a new nugget of information. So in other words... What happens is as you are sowing seed in good soil, some of it trickles over here to the wayside, and people hear it, and that seed is there, but the enemy comes to keep them from being saved. What does that mean? They're not saved, right? That's what he's out there doing. Have you ever been in that situation where you've, you've given somebody the gospel in some way or another, and it's like, man, I think it's sinking in, and then three days later you hear from them and you're like... What on earth happened? It's happened to me. Let's go on. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. 
Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see, we're seeing the difference here. It seems like one of these is not saved, but the other three are. But what happens after they are? One of them produces a a yield of 30, 60, or 100. Two of them produce almost no fruit, if any at all. Why? Persecution, the cares, the riches, the desires of this world. Everything else sets in. We don't know why. We don't know what's going on. It's okay. We've taken Jesus and we've put him in our back pocket. The good soil are the ones who receive it and do something with it. They begin to cast their own seed. But none of these were sitting here and nobody was looking to throw seed at the wayside or seed at the rocky soil or seed at the thorny soil. They were all looking to throw it at good soil. How do you know what good soil looks like? You start with conversations. you got to ask. you got to talk to people. You know, thorny soil may become good if somebody is sick and you pray for them and they get healed. It may suddenly change. And we all fall into this category. The question is, is if we're not producing fruit, we've got to begin to ask ourselves, well, then where am I? Because our entire lives is based on being Christ's ambassador. Christ went around all the world preaching, teaching, and healing. What are we doing? Why are we not representing Him? Why is that not at the forefront of our mind? Why is every opportunity that we have not given based off what God does? When you go to your job, do your work unto the Lord. What does that even mean? It's if you're working for Him, that Jesus Himself is the one that's going to sign your paycheck, and you want to do everything for Him because He's done everything for you. But we tend to take our employer for granted and be like, well, that's not my job. Somebody else can get that. I'm not getting paid for this. How about we just step up? We do the same thing and when it comes to the body of Christ. Listen, I hope, I hope somebody goes to Africa. I hope somebody goes to Watson. I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're not engaged. We are sitting in the sidelines. We're like, man, I hope somebody does something. But inside of us is that authority. Inside of us is that power. When it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, and brings to life this mortal body. It literally means that. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. No longer is there a veil. No longer is there a separation. No longer is there a person that can go in. You and I carry the presence of God everywhere we go. Sometimes we don't act like it. Let's look at one more. Matthew chapter 13. Same story. A little more detail. On the same day, Jesus house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, and he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, and they did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Does that sound like what we read earlier in that other parable? Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, now watch this, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears of hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Now, why is this prophecy going? Why are they not seeing? Why are they not hearing? Is it God mandating that? No, it's God revealing the reasoning. Their hearts are dull, their ears are hard, their eyes have closed. They don't want to see it. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turns, and what does he say? So that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. You and I are in the greatest time in the history of this planet. You and I are the recipient of thousands of years of people wandering through wilderness and going through trials and tribulation to bring forth Messiah. If the prophets of that time declaring what was going to happen had the opportunity to fast forward, jump in their little spaceship that takes them to the future, they build their DeLorean, flux capacitors, 88 mile an hour, you all know, and they go to just past the point that Jesus died on this earth, resurrected, salvation is here, how would they respond with such joy? They could not have, just like, do you understand what it was like? It's no different than if you had a grandparent or a, a parent that went through the Great Depression. They acted and thought differently when it came to finances. Because they would look at you and say, do you understand? You don't need another big screen TV. Do you understand? Do you understand what it's like? And the thing is, is we have taken all of this for granted. Because our hearts have grown dull. And our ears have gotten hard and our eyes have been closed and, and we've internalized all of this stuff and we want to live and we just want to deal with this and we're like, I'm just trying to get from one day to the next. It's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If I'm an ambassador of Christ, then I have a mandate from Him to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to lay hands on the sick and see them to recover. And not only that, but that authority goes for myself as well. That whatever the enemy brings cannot stand because no weapon that is formed against me will ever prosper because greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. That enemy has been defeated. And while he might be roaring like a lion, he cannot do anything against me. We have got to begin to stand up and take a stand. We cannot be moved by what we see or what we hear. We have to stand on what we know is the truth. The world around us is crashing and crumbling down, and it doesn't matter. We can't be moved by the stock market. We can't be moved by pandemics. We can't be moved by acts of war or earthquakes or depressions or famines. We're not moved by that because what we know is that it is God who has provided all things for us. And it is time for you and I to start to act like that authority is in us. We have a mission it is time for us to wake up. Amen. We have been dull. We have been loose. 
time to tighten the bolts, church. There are people this week who will die and go to hell. Let you be the one to share the gospel with them. We've got a job to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that you are quickening our hearts to not just hear it, but to do it. As we grow in our understanding of who you are and what you've done, Lord, that that we go out there and we represent you every single day. That where we've lost sight or where we've lost focus or where we've taken for granted, Lord, we just repent right now. But I thank you that you are equipping us with every good thing that we need. And Lord, we glorify you and thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you will open doors of opportunity for us today and all week long that we can go out there and minister your love, compassion, your healing, minister your spirit, Lord. And I thank you that you give us the boldness to step through those doors as they're opened. That you be glorified in every aspect of our lives and everything we say and do. That every fiber of our being brings glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday.